Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, my name is John Kennedy and welcome to this special best of episode of Tape Notes. We'll be looking back at a selection of our favourite highlights and most memorable moments from our conversations with the incredible artists and producers we spoke to in season eight. We'll hear from Girl in Red with Matthias Tellez, Rostam, Dodie and Joe Rubel, Johnny Flynn with Charlie Andrew, Fred again and Easy Life with Rob Milton. But we begin with Mike and Ben of Royal Blood, who invited us into their hideaway studio near Brighton, where the majority of their album Typhoons was recorded and produced. Incorporating the dance floor into their world for the first time, the duo gave us a glimpse into some of their enlightening techniques for finding top lines and the joke alter egos that helped shift their sound away from Royal Blood as we know them. But they start us off with a tale from the early days and an amusing endorsement of Mike's bass skills. I switched to bass when Ben got a gig as a session drummer for a band and they needed a bass player and he knew I didn't have any money or any work or anything going on and the bass parts were pretty easy and so he was sort of said, I reckon you could blag it, you should just show up. So I did and after the first audition, the manager came up to me and he called me a world-class bass player and <laughs> yeah. we, we were in hysterics behind his back. Because he right. said I was all right. He, he said, said, you were right. And he said, Mike, though, you are world class. And I was probably just playing four notes. And I was like, thanks very much. So <laughs> I fooled him. <laughs> and I've, and I've been getting away with it ever since. Um, but I, I, what was interesting is I had all these pedals and amps and stuff that I was running my keyboards through. And I started throwing the bass through. And it sounded so cool. And because I didn't know how to play bass properly and didn't, I was so lost on bass. I know where I am on a piano. And I think being creative is about being lost because then you can find things. Whereas sometimes it's hard to get lost when you have the map right in front of you. Yeah. That intro started as a piss take project that I was working on the side where I had this idea of I was going to create a character called Michelle Powers. And I made all these ridiculous 80s tunes. And that's where the song started. So I didn't have the band in mind. Your alter ego, Michelle Powers. <laughs> I was going to grow a tash and just move to Miami. So is Michelle Powers French? or No, because he wants to be French. Right. And the debut album is called um, Je Suis Machine, which obviously makes no sense. <laughs> right. But I guess Michelle, Michael. There's a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a connection here. Of course. So this was the beginning bit and if you want to get really nerdy which I'm sure someone out there does this is um, off a plugin called Keyscape which is all the world's keyboards without needing five million pounds to go and buy them all <laughs> Yeah. and there's a bunch of plugins and stuff I can turn off so this is what it sounds like raw Which is cool. Mm. I put this thing on called Pan Man, which makes it go from left to right. You can feel it moving now. Yeah. And then added some reverb, because why not? 
this this is where I def knew I definitely was making a raw blood song because I added these strings. So I was just programming this in my lounge at home and my girlfriend was like, what on earth is that? What are you doing? And then I thought it would be funny if the next bit that came in was the heaviest thing we've ever done <laughs> and the dumbest thing. So the kind of ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 come And that's when I was like, oh, okay, now it's a raw blood song. So this one was When it became like, dumb. Yeah, this is when it became dumb. <laughs> yeah, this, this thing had like a glitter suit and was like smoking a pipe. <laughs> so yeah, that kind of started the song. The real focus on this record was the close biking. I think on previous records, it being, to be fair, we, we, I guess on the first record it, it's similar, but this was about it feeling really, really tight, but everything having transients. And that's the thing you don't get on a program drum. And it's the bleed of all the drums together and it being played by Ben, you know, it's about capturing personality. Yeah. yeah, and in general, you're recording a performance as opposed to individual yeah. hits. That it's all you, a performance. Yeah. So yeah. Here, here's the drums in the chorus. That's one part. It sounds like two drum parts. Yeah. With some claps. It sounds like a drummer playing toms over the top of a beat. That's all one take. It's just how he rolls. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I'll tell you what, another thing which I've done a lot on these songs is um, writing the melodies to the verses. I put this filter on it to make it sound like it's next door or it really is going on in a club. So you're outside. So yeah, almost like I imagine that the song already exists and I'm, I've got my ear up to the wall. I'm definitely not invited to the party. <laughs> and I'm trying to work out what the, you know, it's like it's already there. So you're not writing, you're just listening in. And this was like a good tester for a lot of the songs as well. If we could put this filter on and it sounded like a party you wanted to be at. Wow. So you applied that to lots of the songs? Yeah. So yeah. I'd have that on loop and I'd write all the words to that. Wow. That's a great idea. The brief of a song should be preposterous and make you feel incredibly uncomfortable. And you should not be able to even imagine where to begin. <laughs> you know, the task should feel so funny and stupid. It brings out the childishness in you. And I think the biggest killer of creativity is thinking that you're an adult now making music. And then it's like game over. You have to remain a child. I think you have to remain so playful and things should be funny, basically. Yeah. Because after a while, they'll stop being funny and they'll stop being brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and that must be why Brian Wilson put a sandpit in the studio. Next up, we turn to DIY artist come internet icon and larger-than-life character Marie Ulven, better known as Girl in Red, along with producer Matthias Tellez. Linking up with us from home and studio in Oslo and Bergen, respectively, the pair took us into some of the minute but decisive details from Marie's debut album, If I Could Make It Go Quiet. We start with Matthias's thoughts on the vibey hook from Marie's song, Body and Mind. 
so iconic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, although the song is like ended up as a completely different thing, it kind of brings me back to like early Max Martin stuff, like 90s Max Martin. The chords, I guess, and with the melody, obviously, with the uh, 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 is like, I, <laughs> I keep like imagining myself you being like, a Backstreet Boy or something, and then you're like doing the like the move going down. Da, da, oh da, yeah, with like with my with like <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the camera like slides on the. No side, one knows like, what da. we're doing right now, but I'm doing like a chicken kind of movement with my head, yeah. and it looks very <laughs> awkward. But it's probably a good thing that no one can see this. And also, we were doing this thing about like we were overdubbing all those stuffs by like rubbing our hands on like our pants, pants. or yeah. jackets or whatever. <laughs> and miking that up and just playing like the same groove. But I think you can hear like, it's like layered. Amazing, so Marie, you just did a gesture where you rubbed your hand. So you're literally rubbing one hand on top of the other and recording that as yeah. an yeah, extra just kind on, of. Like on our pants and stuff. We did that also for Midnight Love. We actually did like a lot, just like hand stuff in the yeah. studio and just like kind of recorded my hand on like the on wood and just like stuff that Matthias had in this studio. Mm. Because it gives like um, some extra spice, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't think I have a first instrument because I play a little bit piano, a little bit bass and a little bit guitar. And I kind of, I feel like my first instrument now is just like making songs. Like yeah. if that would be an instrument, I feel like that would be my instrument. Yeah. I mean, I, I really connect with that because I remember when Marie came to the studio and she, I don't know if you were kind of like, yeah, I'm not a great bass player, but you know, I play or whatever. Mm. Like I'm the same, like I play a little bit of everything, but I wouldn't call myself like a really good instrumentalist. And that's like the thing that with Marie that like, for instance, on Midnight Love, I had like a cello in the hallway, like someone left it there. And I was like, oh, it'd be great to have like some cello pluckings on the track. And she was like, yeah, that's cool. And I brought the cello and say, all right, play. Yeah, and then and I... she was like, I don't play cello, yeah, but ne me neither. And she, she just sat down and, and started riffing on it, you know, and I put up a microphone and... We did find something cool. And that's cool. it, you know. Yeah, her instrument is definitely her brain, you know. Dude, that's beautifully said right there. My instrument is my brain. <laughs> Holy <Yeah>. hell! <laughs> that is a very quotable line. That's fantastic. It's unbelievable how much it really means like in the end result of like what words you choose and like how many syllables and how like making sure that you use like these sounds instead of these sounds in case that sound kind of disappears and even though that might not make sense but it's like saying don't instead of won't because won't kind of like sounds a little, a little bit wonky in the mix and it kind of it's really just about like understanding like how important it is for like articulation for stuff to really like pop out in the track but then again not make it seem like you know, it's not this like very sort of low key, like oral, just like talking kind of vibe. The beat really colors the sound. So the, the, it really makes it feel like it's an electronic track, but even like mm. the main stuff that was recorded, it wasn't an electric guitar though. So like there has been like stuff, but also electronic music doesn't have to stem from an electronic place. Anyways, so I guess it is electronic music. I mean, it's the way you use the instruments, I guess. Mm. Because, like, it is basically an acoustic song because, like, all the elements are acoustic. I mean, 
everything besides the kick is acoustic. Like, you know, the fast things going like... The hi-hat? Yeah, I mean, that's like the brushes again. Yeah. yeah. They're just chopped and looped and run through like this tremolo that makes it kind of have movement. I feel like production is just like about adding so many things or like adding not so many, but adding stuff that just gives you a feeling, but you don't even notice it. Not sure if that made yeah. any sense, but it's definitely just about finding stuff that feels good. Yeah, it definitely yeah. makes sense. I mean, like a lot of the time it's just things that you don't really notice, but once you mute them, you feel like, oh, something's missing. Something's not like it was, like it doesn't have that same energy or, or vibe, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Agreed. Should we carry on playing the track and we can hear these changes as they happen? Yep. Yeah, so many subtleties to the approach and yet they make such a difference. Yeah, I mean, like, we could try muting, like, just that vocal. I mean, it's, it's pretty back there, but... So important. Yeah, I mean, it feels so empty and now it's back on. It's like a angel shadow of the voice, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Angel shadows in Norway. I love all those details from Marie and Matthias there. For our next highlight, we venture across to sunny LA to join producer and songwriter Rostam Batmanglij, who came fully equipped with voice notes, demos and stems from Changeophobia, an album which marked a new musical era for him. We start with Rostam discussing the groove that became his song from the back of a cab. I kind of felt like this groove was sort of a, it was a little bit of a hybrid of the Persian 6-8 and African 12-8. And, you know, time signatures are how you count, but the groove is something that you feel. And to me, like when I feel a backbeat, it tells me that it's really 12, just the way that that backbeat sits. And uh, this was a song that started with drums and it started in Ableton. I'll isolate those drums and I'll play them back for you now. So here you have a hi-hat, kind of a fundamental component. And you can see that it has its own groove, even though it's like probably three different samples that are repeating. So here's a hi-hat and the clack, and then the claps, and then the kick. Which one of those sounds came first? I don't know. <laughs> From what I remember, I'd say the hi-hat. And then there's another kick. And then there's bongos. And then some people think this was a guitar that I played in Pro Tools, but it started in Ableton. And let me solo that for one second. So this is side chaining off the kick. 
And that's creating a pretty extensive groove. I find the songwriting process is something that, for me, it necessarily involves listening back hundreds of times and figuring out, you know, what I want to say. Yeah. So it's kind of a bit like cracking a puzzle or, or something, you know, because it's, you kind of feel that, oh, it's there. You know, it's in here somewhere. These ingredients are, are all together. They're all meant to be here, but I don't quite know how they fit. But I'm going to make them fit. <laughs> it may take me some yes. time, but I'm going to do it. Yes. And, and it connects with this idea of like the sprint and the marathon, because I think great songwriting is a combination of the sprint and the marathon. And it's beautiful when a melody and a lyric happen at the same time. I know that there's some songwriters that need that to happen in order for them to feel like it's a song. But I want it to happen some of the time, but I also want some of the elements to come individually. Like I want the melodies sometimes to come from things that I write on an instrument as opposed to with my voice. And I want the lyrics to come from something that I write down and I, you know, I want to say. I think that's important. <laughs> Big breath at the end of that. Yeah. It's a great transition though, isn't it? Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> well, it just it kind of seems to <laughs> switch or transition into the the minimalist aspect, you know, in a well, in a, in a really natural way, I guess, you know. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. And I think it. I might have done a tiny bit of cutting and pasting, but not much. Most of that is a real mm. performance. I'd say maybe like two notes, maybe I cut and paste, but the rest is just Henry. And I remember when I was working on this, that first phrase, the timing on it is so interesting how it lines up with the grid or the click. I'll play that for you. But that very first phrase, just the way that it lines up, how he comes in. I really love it. I tried to slide it around which sounds so terrible. I tried to move it to be a little bit later or maybe a little bit earlier, and it sounded awful. <laughs> Every version of timing that was not Henry's timing was just completely terrible. Um, it, it's not about the grid. It's all about the feeling. If there's a struggle in finishing something or in making something, don't let that deter you from getting to a point where you think it's finished. Because the first step to finishing something is thinking that it's finished. And then it usually takes a few more months to actually finish it. And that's okay. And I think failure is so necessary in order for you to get to a place where you're happy with a recording. You gotta fail a little bit and that's okay. And if everyone who failed stopped making music, there would be no music in the world. It's the people who fail and keep going that let you hear their music, because we all fail. So if you're discouraged, don't let it stop you.
Such wise, wise words there from Rostam. Now, for our second debut album of the series, we met up with Dodie and producer Joe Rubel at his studio in Tileyard, North London. Getting lost in the vast scrapbook that is Build a Problem, we indulged in everything from writing for an orchestra to screaming, as well as a wealth of audio Easter eggs. But to start, we hear the pair recall a moment of inspiration at Rack Studios when Joe had Dodie add some unusual percussion. So that um, is, um, we were working with an engineer called Matt Glasby and he, I said I wanted to record Dodie hitting the, she was playing drums on the window this in big, Rack like, 2. big glass, yeah. yeah. And it sounded really cool. And I was like, I want to record that. And he sort of like, looked like he was having a migraine. <laughs> and then disappeared for about for 10 minutes and then came back and put PAs, I'm going to get this wrong, Paizo microphones, contact microphones basically, either side. He just and duct taped then, it on, didn't he? Yeah, literally just like, yeah. and then somehow. And is this a window that looks out to the outside world or is it a sheet of glass that happens to be? Goes within? over, it's like. Over it's, the studio. Yeah, yeah, so the control room is above the studio. So you can look down on it. So I think Doda's watching Russ play drums. And, <laughs> right, and oh, so this is that rack then? Yes. Yeah, the way I communicate to Russ on what to play is literally by pretend playing. I, I don't have words to describe what I want. So I usually just go <laughs> and like use my body. So I was probably banging on the glass. And Joe was like, oh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so you, this is the... Thirty playing the window. And then you've got Ross. That's so good. It does. It's like the perfect slap. What have we got? Ross, Ross is doing... Adding some like flams. A, some kick stuff. Nobody objected to banging on the window. No, they so couldn't. You might break no, that. Nobody was in there. <laughs> realizing. Also, it's very soft. It sounds quite big now, but it's actually like you know. Just slap it. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite. Um, it wasn't going to break anything. So Dodie gets angry and <laughs> really swears. Really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Excellent. Yeah. So what was making you so angry? <laughs> well, um, it's funny because at no point do I sing the word before the line, but um, it's something I say a lot. I think a lot of people can relate. I feel like I'm sure you have it, but in your life you might have a line of before and after where something traumatic happened or maybe a multitude of things, and then you just see the world differently. Um, for me... This song is a lot about a condition I have called depersonalization. I talk about it a lot, but essentially it's a condition where you feel very spaced out a lot of the time. And there was this traumatic year and then I experienced these symptoms and I haven't managed to get rid of them. I just feel very disconnected now. And I was very angry about it for a while and that anger turned into depression, which wasn't very nice. And then I managed to kind of like get through my depression and now I work with it. But a way to to handle stop being depressed is by accepting and yeah accepting where you are and accepting that I have this condition and life is just different now and that's fine but I think this song is about just letting all of those negative feelings rise to the surface and and feeling whatever you need to feel of like fuck this shit <laughs> I hate it I hate it and yeah in in that I guess bridge I say I'm I'm lying when I say it's time to let her float away it's like I'm lying when I'm like, it's okay, I don't mind, this is how I am now, it's okay. And then I go, I'm still clawing for the strings. Um, I do any fucking thing and it's true. Like I think in my darkest moments I'm like, I would 
do anything. I'll do anything. I want to resist. I want to push back. I hate that I am this way. Like, let me go back to before the line. Yeah, so that's why this song is a little darker. Yeah. That's sort of the main mic, which had been close to her. Yeah, that sounds like just a... And then you've got the room, which is... Whoa. Cool. I think one of them's out, slightly out of phase. Did we not do it to a click? Nope. Yeah, look at the look at the tempo map. It's like all over oh the place. yeah, tempo. And then there was the bass amp one, which is like. I love that one. It's just so it's the same thing, just going through all these different. Mm -hmm. And then it goes through a guitar amp as well, which is that Kemper. Wow. And then all together, you've got... So full. Yeah. But also, again, it's kind of finding creative ways to go around the fact that that's a very quiet instrument. Yeah. And you don't want to just take one source and amp it up. You kind mm. of yeah. you want to split loads of different ways and try and find ways to make it. That is really interesting, though, because when I was listening to it... So with that note, sorry, I really wanted it to be like, da -da, like, no, like, please, I'm so sorry. I wanted to yell, but I couldn't get it. We spent a session. I was like jumping up and down being like, all right, Joe, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bell. Let's go. And then I would just stand in the corner of the room and just go, it's sorry. <laughs> and it sounded terrible. And I was like, oh, my God, no one can ever hear this. And Joe was like, but I'll just put it behind everything. So it is it. in there, right? Well, that's I, it's somewhere. Oh yeah, it's hit all, all these Okay, guys. here we go. Do it, do it. That sounds fine. Yeah. But like it's raw. It's distorted and... Oh, you want to hear it raw? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is... Oh, God. It's just... It's <laughs> so that's layers of Dodie doing all of that and then distorted and compressed and delayed and it sounds great but there's also a layer in there that's your I still took that from the original performance as well and sort of mm. laid it up it's just so funny how like you're taught that like you know there's a right way to record things it has to be completely clean and compressed and mm -hmm. you know in a certain kind of room and yet the irony is there are so many plugins to try and like recreate those organic sounds exactly yeah. like oh let's add this and add noise and blah 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 when really you could just you know sit with a bosch microphone in a noisy room and record yeah. something and it could sound great and it does sound great we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with highlights from Fred again, Easy Life with Rob Milton, and tales from Johnny Flynn's musical adventures in an off-grid, solar-powered woodland cabin. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. 
Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. Next up, we look back on our conversation with Johnny Flynn and producer Charlie Andrew, talking us through Lost in the Cedar Wood, the album Johnny co-wrote with author Robert McFarlane. Based around the earliest known story, the epic of Gilgamesh, Johnny uncovers how he crafted its musical world, of which the foundations appropriately took shape in his friend Cosmo Sheldrake's woodland cabin. So we recorded with the windows open in his cottage and with Cosmo's solar panels on the lawn outside. And it's all forestry, like pine forestry on one side. So halfway through recording a track, in fact, we were doing the song Tree Rings, which is about the felling of the forest and these chainsaws started up and you could hear like wow. the cracking of these pine trees being felled and uh, and then at other times just mad bird song. And, but we sort of wanted that. Well, I, I'm a big, I like records. I like things to not be too kind of clinical and controlled. And I like the world coming into the sound that you're making and so holding that spirit and allowing that you know the mess of of nature to come in was really cool but yeah and then i in my mind i thought well we've got to at some point just like shape it up there's so much more to do and there's more songs to record from scratch and i wanted to be really adventurous with that and uh so it made sense to me to get in touch with charlie who is you know a sonic genius um <laughs> and see whether he was around to come and help out so that was your idea wasn't it you you said go on play some psych guitar i was right. i didn't quite know how i was going to do it and then i'm i'm so happy you well you did it well it. did it extremely well and then we ended up recording it in the stairwell here didn't we mm. because Which the stairwell is quite a really really lovely acoustic like very kind of ambient you took a line from it to the amp as well, didn't you? So yes. you had the live sound and then you took a feed so that you could then put exactly. stuff on. Everything's been through an amp at some point. And like the space echo, it's not just the echo and the re reverb on it that it's good for. I think it's just good preamps in it. Amazing just for to drive stuff to give it a nice grit. <laughs> 
It's also yeah. good for like because this record had all these different places where it was recorded and different kind of sounds and stuff, putting you know, things through the same effects chain like doing the space echo and the delay and stuff, it kind of blended things together, didn't it? Or it's like yeah. putting stuff through the same kind of tape effect or whatever. Yeah. That really helped as well if you played things through the amp with a pair of room mics up. It's exactly kind of what was happening in the in the cottage, for example. They had stereo pairs up to bring you into that space. Because no one ever listens to you don't go to a gig and you have a guitar amp right in your ear and you have the piano right in your ear. Yeah. You have the space around, you know, you, mm. you, there's a distance between you and the PA or whatever. And so I think that's so important to capture mm. in these recordings. Um, so yeah, this is the slide guitar. Just a clean of the, the mic in front of the guitar with a DI. This is it in the room. And this is what it sounds like when we've reamped it. And this, this is all this is them all together. The combined sound of all those things. counting because I'd then be I didn't know when I double tracked on whatever would come on top of it I wouldn't know when to start so I have to count in my future self right um, which I've learned over years of doing kind of home demos and That's quite a clever device isn't it? Um, yeah so there's often accounting on my songs but it's not actually for a band it's for myself right that's the magic of recording with Johnny like there's no click you know and it's only a couple of takes really get the sound up do a couple of takes pick one we like and then we just can get on with adding the fun stuff to it, you know. My story sung by a thousand tongues. I'm a also got a, an old just cassette machine in there. So things like the piano. By... Can you hear it sort of wobbling a bit? That's kind of like a sort of wow and flutter effect from just dodgy tape, basically. And you get this lovely sort of saturation from putting it through that. So we just literally recorded it onto cassette tape, back off the cassette tape. Right. And you get that effect. Yeah. So it kind of squashes it like compression. And you'll get that nice wobble, which gives it its own space as well. So it's a nice character, really. And then if I just put everything in. You're the Always good to hear from production god, Tape Notes friend, Charlie Andrew. And now we hear from one of music's most influential new producers. From George Ezra, Clean Bandit and Rita Ora, to Ed Sheeran, Stormzy and Heady One, this man is the silent force behind so many hits you already know. We met up with Fred again at his studio in Maida Vale to talk about his own debut album, Actual Life, April the 14th to December the 17th, 2020 taking in everything from his love of working outside to the inspiration from the sounds and people around him, he first tells us how he got to know his mentor, the one and only Brian Eno. Yeah, and Brian, I met when I was 
16, I think. Oh, yeah, I've been very, very lucky to have him as a mentor for 10 years now. So, and yeah, he has like a singing group that happens every Tuesday and it will be like his neighbors and, you know, his neighbor who's like a masseuse and then like Annie Lennox, who's Annie Lennox and crazy hodgepodge of beautiful people, as you'd imagine from Brian. And one of our friends was his neighbor. So I went along to that and yeah, we just quite quickly started like working together. Like I would just, every time he'd like give me like a thing to work on or something to try or a thought, I would like spend the whole of the next week just going absolutely ham on it. Like, you know, 23 hours a day, just making a million sketches so I could come back the next Tuesday and be like, hey, <laughs> got a couple of things here and look, try and make it look all casual, but I've been going crazy. <laughs> and to the point where Brian still messaged me to this day because there's, there's thousands of my sketches on his computer and he always leaves his computer on on shuffle whilst he's just pottering around doing his thing. And so he'll I, I'll regularly get texts from him being like, hey, Fred, uh, you know, Thursday evening sketch three sounding brilliant from 2014 or whatever it would be. <laughs> and I'm like, great, thanks, Brian. When I started working on this project three years ago, I just kind of instinctively found myself working on it generally outside. I would just take my laptop places and set up. And then when I'd run out of charge, I'd go work in a cafe and charge it up again and then go out again. I think in hindsight, the little bit of hindsight I have now, I think I was drawn to doing it that way because one, you can, which is just incredible to me. The fact that you can just sit on the river and make a whole finish like that is to me just like the novelty of that will never wear off. The fact that you don't need anything other than just two hours of charge. So that I just think is an unbelievable like, privilege that we have thanks to technology. But also I think I was kind of probably purposefully moving away from a studio environment. I think for working with other people, which I love doing and I still do, it's nice to have this kind of like studio thing of like this is where we meet and we kind of collide worlds. But for what I was trying to make, I definitely wanted it to feel like I wanted to not have the posh mic and not have the techie bit of gear I wanted it to just really feel earthy and like it was all built from the world so making it in the world made more sense to me if you know what I mean yeah so that siren is made out of a siren that was going on I was on the south bank and there was something those sounds so that would just be recorded on my phone basically like I'd say like 75% of all the sounds in every song I make will be recorded on my phone I'll get like kick drums not from my phone but most drums I'll make from just like almost everything most of my vocals is recorded on the phone so potentially at the South Bank you'll just sing into your phone yeah I will sometimes <laughs> so just using the mic on the phone yeah yeah which is why I think I found this thing that I actually prefer of singing really quietly because <laughs> I don't love my voice very much but sometimes I do like want to say a thing but when I say it really quietly, I don't hate it as much. And when there's like the noise of the world in the background, it doesn't feel as like just disgusting as like just this like posh, like dry vote. Oh, it's not my voice. Like I'm hearing it now. If I was to start singing, I would leave. <laughs> but if it was in an iPhone, you can hear like traffic in the background and like a bit of a natural reverb of a room or whatever. Like I'm immediately to me like allured to it because it just feels like the world. It doesn't feel like this dry, sterile thing.
the sketch is called Sunday Morph Day with my mate Big Ken, who I live with, who's also Joy Anonymous and a great producer. And we do these kind of like throw paint at the wall production days, often on the weekend, where you just kind of like just throw ideas. There's no intention. Like the most, you know, we're talking about like being play, like trying to push that to its most extreme of just absolutely playing with sound and seeing how you can push it and bend it. And so this was, came out of taking this sound that's a sample. That's how it sounds without the plugin on it. And that we like kind of just grabbed random chords from all over it. And then this plugin called Morph that I adore. So we then sent that through Morph. You can like combine it with another sound. So that's being sent to this as a trigger. This random groove. But so if you blend the two, it becomes with Morphon. If I dial the Morph out, and that's it off, and then... Do you know what I mean? It kind yeah. of, it morphs them. It does what it's on the tin. And yeah, and that just made this like sonic palette that was really like sort of enchanting to me. I'm fascinated by the extent to which you can compromise on the amount of time you have and it doesn't seem to affect how good what you get is. So for example, this year a lot of the time I've been like, first thing in the morning I'll, I'd started off like setting myself like, okay, you've got an hour to make an idea. I'd like put a timer on my phone just because again, it just puts you into a state of kind of play of like, okay, go, 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 don't worry if it's not, just go. And as this year's gone on, I've made this timer shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where I now do 15 minute timers from like scratch. I'll do four in an hour and always basically without fail, three of them are rubbish and one of them's got something in it. And that only took an hour. And if I do one thing in an hour, usually one in four of those hours is rubbish. So I'm like, hold on, <laughs> on a very like, <laughs> I don't totally understand it, but I think it's just like, essentially, I think it's like you're buying more tickets to the lottery. Because really that's what most of this is. You're just trying to like wait for an accident to happen or something that you didn't really mean to do. Like you're just trying to get out of your own way and like hope that you accidentally press that button that makes the bass 10 times louder and they're like, oh, that's the song or you accidentally cut. It's always that. And so to me, the more tickets you can buy into that lottery, the more likely you are to stumble across the thing that is outside of yourself. Because I have no interest in what is in here. I have interest in like what I feel reacting to something. Mm. Absolutely fascinating. Accidents are where it's at. That's where the magic happens, it seems. And play is such an integral part of this whole creative process, which seems to be a bit of a theme to this best of, I would say. And for our final episode of season eight, we turn to Easy Life's Murray Matravers with producer Rob Milton, taking us behind the scenes of the band's debut album, Life's a Beach. As well as recreating the moment Murray became a garage MC, the pair shed some light on why fun and play is always at the centre of almost everything they create. We join Rob as he loses himself down a hole, going on a one-word recording spree for the track Skeletons. But I don't want to be just another one of you Skeletons Six feet deep like Could have been so sweet So then I went on this sort of you know, rampage to recruit 
people to say the word skeletons on a song, to which I've got my girlfriend, my manager, like everyone in the Promised Land building, so there's like eight people from Promised Land, my housemate, like all the boys in Easy Life are on it, some of their girlfriends. <laughs> I bumped into Baxter Jury was in the building one one time at Promised Land and I was like, will you say the word skeletons on a recording? And he was like, okay, mate. Um, <laughs> oh, we got to hear something. <laughs> so just, we ended up doing that and not everybody made the cut. <laughs> I got so obsessed with this thing and like piecing together like the perfect skeletons. I was really deep in a hole. You were a bit worried about me at yeah. one point, were you? Especially because when you're working on it, all you're listening to is skeletons, skeletons and like making music and like production especially can be like it can drive you crazy because you are listening to things on repeat all day you know but this particular time i was like are you are you all right man like i think you're making these decisions but you know you're like oh shall i use this female voice of someone's girlfriend or shall i use this girlfriend and it's like mate chill like it's fine it wasn't politically no no right no. just like that's what i'm saying like sonically like yeah, you got it's really. Like, no, that into needs a hole. to be on the left. It's got to be on the left. Why was I putting it on the right? Of course, yeah. they're going to be on the left. You know, like stupid oh, stuff mate. that you so kind of get up to at like you know midnight or whatever. But um, there's also fifty layers of me singing it as well. So I'll play you the skeletons lot. Skeletons, Murray. Skeletons. Like a hundred of me and and Innes, who's a really good writer that I'm friends with. She layered. Herself up. Skeletons. Innes. Skeletons. My manager. And. Skeletons. Baxter Jury. Wow. <laughs> that is. That kills it. Skeletons. That's the one, isn't it, really? That's ridiculous. <laughs> we were trying to think of things to say in amongst the skeletons, which was kind of jokes because we were doing sort of like garage MC. Oh stuff my god. Do you have any of that? I don't know, bro. Oh my god! I basically couldn't get Murray to sing, no, like, to rap in like I normal voice because he was that. just like stuck in like MC garage. Yeah. So like, we'd be, with the like, bassline in here. Yeah, literally, <laughs> it'd just be like that the whole You're time. And I remember when we actually came to record the vocal. I'd been doing it for so many hours in that weird voice. Like I was a garage DJ. <laughs> that when we genuinely were like, okay, let's try to do it I, we couldn't do it yeah and like there was always like a <laughs> little tinge of the garage dj coming through in the vocal take and you'd be like are you taking the piss i'm like i swear i'm trying to do it properly it started but, off hilarious and then they got very frustrating right. <laughs> yeah i'm so joke. sorry about that <laughs> you don't have any of that do you oh i don't think so not here maybe murray I'd could love... recreate it now yeah you, know, you recreate it your garage dj or mc persona what it'd be like Six feet deep, like, could have been so sweet. <laughs> like, that's literally how I was delivering it. And I was like, no, it's could have been so sweet. Could have been so sweet. That's literally what it was like. <laughs> that's like that's literally... Corrupt FM or something. Yeah. I think a lot of the music we write is all, is often stupid for a long time. Yeah, it's and a then complete like, joke for a while. Yeah, it's always like, haha, let's do this. And it's like, oh. People like it now, yeah. it's a song. It gets to a point where, like, it passes a point where you're like, well, that's what it is now. We've done the joke so much. And we've done that with a, quite a few of the tracks. Yeah. And, like, the lyrics have just been a complete joke. But we <laughs> just haven't really had the guts yeah. to take them out, like, because it's just yeah. they're part of the song. So we grabbed the sample. 
Speed it up a bit here. When we were standing at the shore, you didn't even And then filtered it there, and then I've... This is... Sorry, this is the pitched up. I thought you said you loved the ocean. So is that the bit that's at the beginning of the song? Yeah. Yeah. That's put a bit of, bit of a filter on for the intro. You didn't even dip your toes. Well, I believe you just took And there's something about a chipmunked vocal that immediately does something with me yeah. like the early Kanye stuff or, or even like Akon Lonely or yeah. something you know I mean? like you hear it's a motive that it's, it is a motive like yeah. someone sincerely singing really nicely but it's like chipmunked up to be this kind of st mm. stupid voice but it sounds you know yeah. there's something about that mixture that is just so nostalgic to me and like her voice and her lyrics with that kind of treatment just yeah, it was quite an easy, an easy mm. victory, that one. I thought you said you loved the ocean When we were standing at the shore You didn't even dip your toes in I can't believe I just took you home Why haven't we done this yet? We always talk about it. That's Still definitely the one. That, go find a tattoo part. There's sort of an element of nostalgia attached to that plugin for us because that was like our plugin that we found together when we first met <laughs> and like used on everything. Like the first, certainly the first couple uh, mixtapes, just J37. Just oh, that's great. So I don't. Good. I don't think we've ever had somebody who has the intention of tattooing the the name of their <laughs> essential piece of kit. And maybe if we get to do a third episode of Take Notes with Easy Life, maybe maybe by then we'll have yes. to ask that important question yeah. whether you've had the tattoo yet. We bet. Yeah, we That's good. We that gives really. us another, like, that gives us an incentive to get it, like, at least, like, a time, you know? Yeah. Like, we have to have done it by then. Because right now we're just always talking about it, but we'll never, All talk. never do it. Yeah. Exactly. All talk. No Fantastic. trousers. Murray and Rob, we will be holding you to account. If not, we'll get it done in the studio for your next Take Notes episode. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. We've only scratched the surface of our favourite bits from the season in this Best Of. There's so much more musical goodness, inspiration and wisdom to be had in the full episode. So do check them out if you haven't already. Links to all of the albums and artists featured this season can be found in the episode show notes. And now, to round off our Season 8 highlights, we turn back to our conversation with Royal Blood as they play us out with a side of themselves they don't usually reveal. Here's Mike introducing their track, All We Have Is Now. There's this idea of who people think we are, and then on the other side of that is who we actually are. And the idea of me getting on a piano and singing a song like that is, is unsurprising to Ben. <laughs> Yeah, and the same way if he plays me a song that he's written in that way, it's not like no, really, you doing that? We, you know, we've been doing that our whole lives, but it's something we haven't revealed about ourselves. And I think it's a mixture of not having the confidence in the past to show that side, but also I, I don't believe we had the right song. And this song, like most of the songs on this record, wasn't written with the idea of it being on this album. Or even beyond that, wasn't even written with the idea of anyone even hearing it. It was um, something I was very, not embarrassed of, but nervous about anyone mm. seeing this side of me. So it's something I had in my back pocket. And then one evening I plucked up the courage to show Ben. I was like, that's a cool song. <laughs> and, uh, 
and yeah, he just was like, "That's great. We should just, just just record it." And yeah, the result of that song was I wouldn't say a demo. But we recorded it really well, but we didn't go into the details of it. We didn't like mix it or anything. We just bounced it down, and that's what's on the record. So it's a very like in the moment live thing. And yeah, it just felt like the perfect closing track. Really, I think people would have skipped listening to the record if we'd put it bang in the middle. Yeah, um, and and also it was the last expression of doing something that we never thought we'd do in this band. Yeah. Ben, Mike, thank you so much for giving us your time and welcoming us into this fantastic studio space. Thank um, you. And, Thanks for having and us. And we're going to close now with All We Have Is Now, but I will mention that, of course, you can get links to stream or buy the tracks we've been talking about in the show in our show notes, and you can also get links and more details about some of the equipment that we've been talking about as well. But this is All We Have Is Now. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Just live.